This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. It's time for another episode of The Drop Podcast. The Drop is an unbiased, in-depth hockey podcast dedicated to the St. Louis Blues and all the hot topics within the NHL. So tell the ref you don't mind the game misconduct penalty. You are headed to the locker room anyway to listen to The Drop. Here's your host, Lance DeScott. It's time for a view from the crease with former Blue and NHL Hall of Famer goalie Grant Fuhrer. Joining me again for an episode of the Drop Podcast, the segment that Grant and I call a view from the crease is Hall of Fame goaltender Grant Fuhrer. Grant, how is your day going? I'm good, thanks, Lance. Got no complaints. Excellent. That's great to hear. You and I haven't talked since I believe around the middle of March, and so much has happened. We've seen some coaches being hired. They've announced some award finalists. We've seen the first round go by the start of the second round. But the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was the first round upsets. You know, some people aren't calling them upsets, especially the Capital Series. I think those teams were very, very well matched against each other. And I'm not shocked that the Hurricanes won that in Game 7. The Lightning, though, in Nashville, I think a lot of people are shocked. What are your thoughts on, let's get started with the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, I think Tampa had one of those years where nothing ever went wrong. And I think that's part of the problem is nothing ever went wrong. So they had no adversity over the course of the year. And every team has a flat spot. Unfortunately for them, their flat spot came in the first round. Yeah, it, it definitely did. And I was thinking the same thing. If you look back uh, through their season, and you and I talked about this before, and I'm sure that, that you'll remember it, you were watching them one night, and you know, because everybody told you you've got to watch the Lightning, you got to watch the Lightning, and I was watching them on another night, and we both made the same comment that, yeah, they looked good, and they looked okay, and you just couldn't figure out why everybody was talking about them, and that all of a sudden they turned it on, and I don't think you can do that in the playoffs, Grant. You can't just all of a sudden turn it on, and by the time they wanted to turn it on, it was too late. It was. And I mean, that's the one thing about good hockey teams is sometimes you can get away with playing average to just a bit, little bit better than average hockey, but come playoff time, you've got to play with everything firing in all cylinders. And I don't think Tampa had all cylinders firing. It just looked like they were a little out of sorts. And once they got down, they had to chase a little bit and they haven't had to do that all year. So they just looked like they were a little out of sorts through the first round. Yeah. And the, the main thing that really shocked me was Kucherov was really non-existent. And Vasilevsky, who you and I have talked about, who in my mind is one of the top two, three goalies in the league, and a lot of people consider him the best, but he did not have a good series against Columbus, Grant. Not at all. He just didn't make the big saves. I think that was the biggest thing. When they needed a save, he didn't make it for them. And come playoff time as a goalie, you've got to be able to make that save at the right time to turn a game around a lot of times that'll help turn a series around and they just didn't have that they they never got timely goals and they never got timely saves yeah and you and i have talked about it you know safe percentages are great goals against are great but when it's five to four four to three three to two one to nothing can your goaltender make that save i you know i i like a guy that's got a high safe percentage and a great goals against but he better be able to make that save when you need him to Exactly. And I think that's 
that's the pretty side of hockey. Everybody looks at save percentage, goals against average, but it still comes down to the old adage of can you win? And I think that it's more prevalent in the playoffs. I mean, during the regular season, everybody's looking at, okay, he's got pretty numbers and this and that, but pretty numbers don't mean anything in the playoffs. You still got to be able to win a game, whether it's 10, nine, two, one, it doesn't matter. You've got to be able to make that save to win a game. Yeah, you most definitely do. And getting to the predators, I thought the Predators would have issues with the Stars. I thought it might go six or seven games. I thought the Predators would win. But they were kind of out of sorts, too. They did not have a great end of the year. And a lot of times, Grant, it's that team that has the great month, the great second half of the season, such as the Blues, the great six weeks, seven weeks, whatever. You've got to be playing your best to go into the playoffs, and the Predators just weren't. You do. And I think from the trade deadline on, they never really found that chemistry. I think that was the biggest thing is you add some people at the trade deadline, you've got to have chemistry. And it just looked like Nashville didn't have that chemistry. No, they they didn't. It looked like they were just off sync in that first round. And speaking of off sync, the the Capitals, I, I don't really think they were off sync, but I don't think they expected a team like the Hurricanes to show up. And they really ran into a hurricane with the Canes. They did. I mean, you got to look at Carolina. They had nothing to lose. They weren't supposed to win the series, so they could play free without any worries. And I think Washington got caught up trying to play a little bit of pretty hockey, which when you're as big a favorite as they were, you can't do. You've got to find the little ways and the dirty ways to win games, and Washington didn't do that. In the regular season, when you're the Stanley Cup champions, people go after you. In the postseason, it's even harder. People want to knock you off your pedestal and the Canes just hung in there and hung in there. And then they pulled it off in the seventh game. And uh, I, the hurricanes are going to be a hard team to beat. Uh, they, they just are They're They have a lot of depth. They can throw three pretty good lines at you with a decent fourth line. Uh, their goaltending, I think is a, above average uh, and they're big and they can, they can keep up either when it comes to speed, they've got a very good team. They do. I mean, it's one of those teams that doesn't have any real stars, but they've got four good lines and six good defense. So they just keep rolling them back out one after the other, and they play hard all the time. And I, it's a successful way to play in the playoffs, and they're yeah, getting uh, good goal. Masaryk has really, really showed up big time. time. You know, he's kind you of been a journeyman off and on, shown some flashes. But like you said, when they've needed him to make that big save against the Capitals, he made it. He did. And then you look at, he goes down the other night and McElwain, he steps in and he played good. So when you've got that combination, even if you're playing just okay, if you can get those saves, you're going to beat a good team. Yeah. And I, I think the key to the Canes, like you said, Grant was they don't have a lot of stars. You know, you see some teams such as Edmonton with two or three guys that carry 70, 75% of their offense. And look what, and look what happens to him. They've got a lot of guys that are that secondary scoring that you and I have talked about that you must have in the regular season and you have to have in the playoffs. Oh, there's no question. And your stars will carry you through a regular season, but you have to have secondary scoring. And The league every year, the good teams always have that secondary scoring. Edmonton didn't have it this year. And you look at some of the other, Buffalo didn't have it this year. Colorado kind of got away without having it their big line kind of carried them through the year and has kind of carried them through the playoffs so far. 
So, but the teams that are like St. Louis, you look at Dallas, they've all got that secondary scoring. Yeah, and speaking of the Blues, like we talked about their secondary scoring, that first round series against the Jets was very, very entertaining. And I was shocked. You know, I, I'm a Blues podcaster, but I was shocked at how well they played in the Jets building. They went 3-0 and in that building, and that's hard to do in the playoffs. It didn't really shock me. They were playing good hockey. I mean, you look at from what they've done from January 1st on and how well they've played, they were on a roll going into the playoffs. So, and what if they kind of stumbled going in? So it didn't really uh, surprise me a whole lot that St. Louis upset them. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people in Winnipeg were shocked. Uh, that, that's what I was talking I think a lot of people thought Winnipeg would win it in five, six games. I think they were taking the Blues lightly, and maybe the team did. Yeah, I, I don't know because it looked like some parts of the game they were really, really well at, and the Blues would kind of take over, and they would just not really fall apart, but they would just go into a, a slow mode, I guess you could say. They were, and then they gave up a couple of untimely goals. And when that happens, it's hard to battle out of that hole. And it's just, it's kind of the way they finished the year. They were playing like that also. So, I mean, St. Louis was playing good hockey coming into the playoffs, which makes them tough to beat. Yeah, you've got to be playing good hockey going to the playoffs. You can't just, you know, win three out of your last 16 games and expect to be hot in the playoffs. It's possible, but I don't think I've ever seen that before. Getting to the blue strengths in the series yeah they had timely scoring from all four lines but you and I both know Grant scoring starts with good defense and the Blues defense for the most part in that series was very good they've been really good and I think if you look at the last month of the season they were really good and Bennington's been great they're getting the saves that they need and once you start getting saves your defense starts to get better your forwards start to get more confidence and you play differently and St. Louis has got that going for them right now yeah, and you know, a lot of people they just focus on the goaltender. Well, you know, it was it was three to two. It's the goalie's fault. He allowed three goals. The defense has a lot to do with that. In the one game, Bennington did allow six goals. Probably three of them, I'd say, were on him. But you need a full team effort. But getting to Bennington, how surprised are you, Grant, with a guy that's been in the AHL for probably I think six seven years now? Started out with the Chicago Wolves years ago. Played a couple games there. He's really grown, and he wasn't really the Blues' top goalie prospect, and they really couldn't find a place for him when they brought him into their system, and he's just really flourished coming in. He's he's calm, and you know I, I, I think he's calm to a point, but then sometimes he gets really feisty, but it's hard to see a young guy like that not get rattled in the playoffs, and that first game, they ran into him in Winnipeg, and it didn't rattle him at all. No, he looked confident, and I think – the players on the bench see that. And a lot of times teams read off of how your goalie looks, how he kind of acts around. And if you're relaxed and confident, then your team becomes relaxed and confident. And Jordan's given him that. Where if he gives up goals, it looks like it doesn't bother him. And that's what you want is a teammate. You don't want him to look like he's frazzled if he gives up a goal. And he's looked solid. He's looked confident. And I think the Blues are feeding off of that. Yeah, and that means a lot. You've got to be confident in your goaltender. We talked about the problems with Jake Allen, and I don't think Jake's a bad goaltender. I just think the Blues lost confidence in him, but now they have the confidence in Bennington, and they're playing really, really well. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk to you about was the officiating inconsistency, and you and I have talked about it time and time again. 
are they ever going to fix this grant? It was bad in the regular season when it comes to goalie interference, some offsides calls, some, you know, roughing calls. Uh, they've got to get it right. You, you've got the, the, the whole Marsha Son incident and personally, Grant, I don't know how you feel about it. That kind of a cross check a lot of times happens off of a face off. Uh, I thought it was a two minute penalty. It was definitely a penalty, but he, yeah, he felt more. awkwardly because of the way he felt and he lost his balance. It wasn't because of the hit. It's because he lost the balance. And the ref even said to the one uh, Vegas player, wow, that looked bad. And when he called the five-minute penalty, it doesn't matter how it, it looked. It was the intent. There was no intent there to injure Thornton at all. Well, I mean, the problem is they called the end result. They didn't actually call the penalty. They just called what they saw on the ice afterwards. And it changed the momentum of that game. And you can't do that. I mean, during the Stanley Cup playoffs, the referee shouldn't be the difference in changing momentum of a game. Yes, Vegas probably should have, shouldn't have given up four goals on a penalty kill, but they also shouldn't have been down for five minutes. So one kind of offsets the other. And yet, on the good side of it, you watch the game last night, you've got the one guy diving around a bunch, and Maroon gives, gives him a shove, which probably should have been a penalty on the winning goal. But at the same time, if the guy doesn't dive around like that, he probably gets that call. So he kind of created his own, which I was glad to see the referees not call anything on Maroon last night, because if a guy's going to dive, then you got to pay the consequences. That's exactly right. And, you know, Maroon, Maroon was tangled up with another player. And when you get tangled up with another player, to me, a contact with a goaltender, unless it's, it's just totally flagrant, it shouldn't be called. Uh, you know, we had that, like you said, that the Esselindel embellishment. Are they ever going to make an embellishment penalty five minutes? Because I don't think players are going to stop doing it. And not that it's really, really prevalent, but I've seen it getting gotten worse over the last couple of years, Grant, where guys will get hit and they take this fall and their arms just flail all around. Can the NHL make that a five-minute major? I don't think they'll make it a major, but they can certainly jump the fines up a little bit. I mean, I'm not sure the Players Association would go for that, but you whack a guy five or ten thousand dollars for diving around, and that'll stop pretty quick. I and mean, there's got to be something that it counts. If you're going to dive, there's got to be a penalty to pay. Five hundred dollars here or there isn't going to make a difference. Yep. And you, you show up the officials. Guess what? Come playoff time, officials have long memories too. They're not going to give you that break. No, they're they're definitely not. And you know, uh, Bertuzzo, yeah, he he deserved a cross check, but uh, to see a player do that, it's if I was a teammate, I'd be a little embarrassed. And I don't know about you, Grant, when you played, if you had seen a teammate do that, would you be a little embarrassed, or or how would the team feel about a player doing that? I mean, I get the one flop, but you can't flop three separate times in the same play. I mean, that's that's when it's getting a little carried away. It's starting to look like soccer, and that's a that's a bad take on the game because. If you ever watch a soccer game, guys look like they got shot and they never get touched. And you don't want hockey. Yeah, you don't want hockey turning into that. So I hate seeing guys diving. Ed, have you seen the inconsistency in officiating? It seems like to me, Grant, I watched the first series with Boston and it was a very physical series, a lot of hatred between the two teams. And in several other series, including the Blues 2 series, it's like officiating from one period to the next, Grant, changes one minute or one period, uh, they're going to call a tripping on the same next period. It's the exact same play. A guy gets tripped and they look the other way. 
I don't know what to do about it, Grant, but it's got to be more consistent. Well, it's funny. If you watch a regular season game, they call they basically call everything. As it gets closer to the playoffs, less gets called. Once the playoffs start, even less gets called. It goes back to the old rules, pretty much. And then all of a sudden, you get a strange call out of the middle of nowhere, which a couple of times in the playoffs this year has changed the momentum of games. And you wonder, well, what's he doing? And if fans are guessing, players are guessing, if players are guessing, coaches are guessing, and nobody knows what's going on. I mean, we can go back to that San Jose game, and I have no idea how they didn't call San Jose or uh, Vegas the second goal a high stick. Every angle I saw, every goal, every angle I saw was a high stick, and they still let that go. So the players just want consistency. That's all they ask for is okay if the game's going to be and which you used to get with the single referee because the one referee called the game a certain way and he had control of the game yeah if he made mistakes you could live with it because it was called the same way since they've gone to the two referee system you don't get that because different guys call games different ways and when you've got two different guys they see it differently it leads to confusion yeah and and one thing i can't stand grant is you'll have a ref right next to the play looking at the play and it's behind the goal and he'll call a, he'll, he he just watches it and then the guy out at the blue line will call boarding how is it the guy right next to the play didn't see the boarding and didn't call it but the guy out at the blue line called it to me that that's just ridiculous well that's, that's the problem with the two referee system is guys see it differently i mean if they both saw it the same way i think it would improve the game but the fact that they don't they're human they both they have different opinions of the rules and different optics of it it creates a system where one referee is going to let it go but the guy standing out at center ice is going to call it so players are second guessing because they don't know so it's it's created a lot of confusion in the game yeah as a player and a coach all you want is consistency you want to know when you go out there what you can do what you can't do what the other team can do what they can't do and that's all they ask for and like you said i've seen games that are coached like are, are, are that are officiated just like the regular season in the playoffs. Then I've seen other games where they just let everything go. Then I've seen other games to where there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, you know, one guy yeah. gets tripped, it's two minutes, another guy gets tripped and he looks the other way. Yeah. I mean, all he wants is consistency and you don't even care if it's bad. If you're consistently bad, at least you know, it's bad. So that's, that's the part that's missing is the consistency. Yeah, I, I I fully agree. And we were talking about earlier some playoff upsets. I know a lot of people in the up in the cities that were upset, Tampa, Nashville, and Washington. A lot of people are talking about changing the, the playoff format, uh, that it doesn't benefit top teams. And and I, I understand why they do the playoff format that they do. But I think sometimes, especially Grant, with you and I just talking about they call the game differently. I think a number eight seed more than ever now has a chance to beat a number one seed in the way that they're calling the game now. It didn't used to be that way. Well, but fortunately, the game of hockey parity is getting better and better. So your eight seeds as good as your one seed almost. I mean, it's just the one seeds put in had a better year, whereas the eight seeds basically probably had to grind for a month or two to get in. So you're seeing the eight seeds playing better hockey going in than the one seeds which just makes the parody that much closer. So I don't mind the playoffs the way they are, but if they were going to change them, 
I would go one through 16. And you take your 16 best teams. That's exactly the way it used to be, and that's the way I'd like it to be. But I think the reason they don't do that, Grant, and you've seen it before, for a couple years, all the teams on the West Coast would dominate, and they'd have more teams in the East Coast. And I don't think the NHL wants that. No, they don't. They want it spread out. You look at travel. I mean, you could have a one being out in, say, Boston, somewhere on the East Coast, and a 16 seed being out here in the West somewhere. So that one seed's going to have a miserable travel schedule, and that's going to be harder on them than a team that, say, finishes five or six who could end up playing having a short travel schedule. So I can see why they go the one through eight. And they keep they keep the East and the West both interested. Sure, sure it does. Um, you and I have talked about some awards finalists over the last couple times we've discussed things. The Jack Adams Award was uh, finally announced, the finalists for it. And a lot of these names that are in there, you and I had mentioned them. We've got Berube, Trotz, and Cooper. I think you were kind of, you know, leaning towards either Cooper or Trotz or, you know, you talked about Berube. Who do you think is your favorite to win that award? You know what? That's one that's going to be a toss-up. I mean, obviously Tampa, everybody sees what a great year Tampa had. So John Cooper's going to get some votes for that. You look at what St. Louis has done since Craig took over there. Equally deserving. And then you look what Barry Trotz has done with the Islanders. And he's kind of done it all year. So I'm leaning towards Barry, but at the same time, the other two are both deserving of it. That's exactly who I'm leaning towards is Trotz because he has done it all year. And Cooper's done it all year. But I think when you really look at the at the top coach in the league, you've got to look at what, in my mind, what they had to work with, how their season went. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if Barube won it. I don't think he's going to. But uh, my pick would be Trotz on that. But those are some three very good coaches that had some pretty good years, especially Barube coming in under the circumstances he came into with one of the worst teams in the league. They all deserve it. But I think you're going to look at the expectations at the start of the year. St. Louis had big expectations. Tampa had big expectations. The Islanders didn't have very big expectations at the start of the year. So that's, that's why I would lean towards Barry a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Getting to the Calder Trophy, I think that one is even more discussed and more heated. We've got Bennington, Pedersen, Darlene. My pick is Pedersen, and let me explain why. Pedersen came into the league at 19, and you've seen 19-year-olds come in, Grant. It's hard to be successful in this league at such a young age. Very few guys do it. Gretzky did it. Crosby did it at a young age. Uh, Mario Lemieux did it at a young age. Yager was young, but not a lot of guys come in and have a successful year. And he didn't play a full season. I think he ended up playing 72 or 73 games because he was hurt for a little bit, but he's my pick based on that fact. He was so young. It's hard to be competitive at that age. And he had such a small body and really got beaten up. Bennington would be my pick, but in my mind, He's played professional hockey for years. He's 25 years old. He's played in the AHL. I am super impressed with his composure and his ability, but nothing against Darlene either. I think Pedersen is going to win it. I'd actually agree with that. If if Bennington had been there all year, oh yeah, I'd say he'd win hands down. But the problem is he's only been there for half a year. So 
that part's going to hurt him a little bit. And Peterson, if you look at the Canucks, they're a different team with him in the lineup as they were with him out of the lineup. So I think he makes the biggest difference to his team. And that, to me, is what your top rookie should be. That, that's exactly right. It should be the guy that makes the biggest difference on your team, a guy that's helped you throughout the year. And I, I, I know a lot of people are telling me, well, Martin Brodeur won it. Well, Martin Brodeur played a couple games in the in the previous season before he won it. He didn't play enough in the previous season. I think he played four or five games, three or four games, something like that. So he was a rookie by name, but he started out in training camp. He started out with the Devils at the beginning of the year. Bennington came in, I think his first start was January 3rd or January 7th. And like you said, if he had been there since November, he'd have my vote. Oh, he'd win hands down. I just think the late start's going to play against them. And then we've got Rasmus Dahlin, and I feel bad for the guy because he is a one-in-a-lifetime, one-in-a-generation type defenseman. I think he's going to be a top defenseman in this league for years, and I really hope the Sabres put a good team together because I hate to see very good players who can possibly be great players, such as Connor McDavid, who is just in a mess in Edmonton. I don't want Darlene to run into something like that. And I'm not seeing Rasmus Darlene as Connor McDavid on the defensive side, but he's going to be a good player. And I just feel bad for him. He is. I think it's stuck in a bad situation this year. I mean, the start of the year was great. The last, what they win three games yeah, in the last I, two I months, three or give four. or take. So, so that, I think that's going to hurt him in the long run, but no, he, all three of them are deserving again. I think the NHL made great picks in the three of them. But I just think Peterson meant more to his team than the other sure. two. Sure, and then you've got people in Dallas upset that Heskinen wasn't put in there. You've, you've got to cut it off somewhere, and he had a great year too. But uh, I think these are probably the three best finalists for that Calder Trophy. I think they're great choices. I mean, all three of them made a difference with their teams. And unfortunately... Darlene plays in Buffalo, so he doesn't quite get the media coverage. Pedersen's going to have a little bit of that issue playing in the West because you don't quite get the media coverage as you do out East. And Jordan, unfortunately, came in later in the year. So, yeah, he's going to get a lot of attention, but it's also going to show that he only played half a year. Sure, and you and I have talked about Pedersen before. I really hope, Grant, that Vancouver finds some type of weight program to put a little bit of weight on him a little bit at a time because the kid is so skinny and so agile, but he needs probably in my mind, 15 pounds, maybe 20 so that he's not beat up so much because I mean, you've seen Gretzky. He was a bean pole when he came into the league and even he put on weight and Pedersen's going to have to do that. Yeah. Well, the difference is we had guys that protected Gretz too. I mean, you've got to have those guys that give him a little bit of room where he doesn't have to worry about being run and such. And I don't think Vancouver did a very good job of protecting them this year. You and I haven't had a chance to talk. There's been a couple coaching hires, and I'm going to start with a guy that you and I have talked about a lot, Todd McClellan. Uh, I feel sorry for the guy. I think his winning percentage grant in San Jose was 637. He comes to Edmonton. Things just don't go right for him, and I think he was a scapegoat when they fired him. They fired him when he was even out of town, and he's landed in L.A., I think right now, Grant, and it's nothing against the Oilers organization. I think hopefully they're moving forward in a positive direction. I think the Kings organization right now 
is a much better ran organization. And I think Todd McClellan is going to be successful eventually in LA. Well, Todd's a good coach. I mean, if you look at everywhere he's been, he's always been a good coach. Detroit was successful. San Jose was successful. His first couple of years in Edmonton, they had a good playoff run. They were successful. So a lot of it is sometimes you get handicapped by personnel. And I think that's kind of what happened to him a little bit in Edmonton. They traded away some of the secondary scoring and it never got replaced. So it makes it hard to win that way. And as a coach, you can have the best system in the world. I mean, look at Hitchcock. Hitchcock come in and to Edmonton and he's been into a few other places. They hired him in Dallas after he left the Blues. And if you don't have the right chemistry and ownership will not let you have the right players that you need to be successful. I mean, look at Scotty Bowman. There was years where Scotty Bowman, the one in my mind, the best coach that I've ever seen. Scotty Bowman, when he didn't have the players, he had competitive teams, but you can't win if you don't have players. No, you've got to have the personnel that fits one year personality to your system. And sometimes you get a group that doesn't quite fit in that mold or won't conform to that mold. And you just don't have that chemistry and you have bad years. Exactly. Well, a lot of people thought that uh, this next guy would end up in Philadelphia, but he didn't. Uh, I was shocked, Grant, honestly. I had heard some rumblings, but I did not expect Joel Quenville to end up in Florida, but I think he's a good fit there. I think he'd be a good fit anywhere. There's 31 places he'd be a great fit. I mean, he's one of the the best coaches I've played for. And he's been successful everywhere he's gone. So I expect that you'll see in the next year or two, Florida's going to have a run at things too. He's just a great coach. I think he's going to really turn them around quick. I think it could take uh, Todd McClellan a little bit longer, but you don't know. Like you said, he's been successful too, and the Kings ownership wants to win. I think they're committed on on winning. They're doing a, a little rebuild now, but I think both of them will be successful. But the next guy who did end up in Philadelphia, Elaine Vignal. And when the Blues were having a bad time, he was going to be one of my picks to come in and replace Mike Yo. Either that or the Marlies coach, Sheldon Sheldon Keefe. I think Sheldon Keefe's a great coaching prospect. But Elaine Vignal ends up in Philadelphia, and I think that's a pretty good move for them. I think it's a good fit. I mean, he's a very, he's a very good coach. He's very good systematically, and he'll bring some structure. And that's kind of what Philly looks like they need right now, some structure. They've got good goaltending. They've got decent defense. They just they need to play with a little bit more passion. I think that's kind of what was lacking a little bit. Part of their problem at the start of the year is they weren't getting any goaltending. And they went, they went through six or seven goalies. And teams, teams play differently when you don't have good goaltending. You're afraid to attack. You end up sitting back on your heels, and that's what Philly looked like. Because you don't know what you're going to get. One night you've got one guy in, the next night he might be in, then all of a sudden for the next two nights, you've got a totally different guy. And what a lot of people don't understand too, Grant, is some of these goaltenders are very good at handling the puck. And that also makes a difference in the way the defense plays the game and the way the defense can play in their defensive end. Because if you know you've got a goalie that can handle the puck, it really changes things. If you know you've got a goalie back there that gets nervous and doesn't know how to handle the puck, watch out makes guys play differently. And I think well, there's another guy that could have been in the rookie of the year hunt, Carter Hart. He came into Philly and settled, settled everything down there, and they became 
a respectable team towards the end of the year. It's just they dug themselves too deep a hole. Yeah, and I think he's going to be a very good goalie in the league for a long time. I don't see him going away. I mean, it could happen, but I see him like Bennington being in the league for quite a while. Oh, no, he's too good to have a go away. I mean, there there might be a little bit of a letdown, but he he's going to be a good goalie for a long time. And, you know, one thing I like about uh, Elaine is the fact that he's played in some high, he's coached in some high pressure situations. He got, uh, he coached in Montreal, which we all know is not the easiest place to coach. He coached in New York where the riders are on you constantly and the Philadelphia fans are kind of demanding. So I think that that might also be one of the reasons why they hired him is because he knows how to handle everything. He's good under pressure and dang in Vancouver grant, he had a 632 winning percentage. That's pretty dang yeah. good. Oh no, he did a good job with Vancouver. And I don't think got a lot of credit for it because again, Vancouver's out in the West coast. So you don't get that big media push, but I think he's done a great job everywhere he's gone. Yeah. And I didn't have this on our list of topics for discussions, Grant, but I've got to talk to you about this. I, one of the teams I am so disappointed in that I thought could make a deep run your former team and one of my favorite teams, the Calgary Flames. Uh, I know what happened, Grant, but I want to get your take on what happened. I think they just got overwhelmed. I mean, Colorado played fabulous hockey and was aggressive. And I think going into the playoffs, Calgary's biggest worry was their goaltending. Coming out of the playoffs, I think the biggest strength they had was their goaltending. It was their scoring that dried up. And I think if you look at their top line, it kind of went flat. And again, they didn't get that push and that secondary scoring. And if you don't have it, you're going to get beat. Yeah, and I, I think Colorado really focused on uh, Johnny Hockey, uh, Johnny Goudreau, and really took him out of his sorts. He did not look like the same player, Grant. Well, regular season, you don't get checked as hard. Playoffs, you're going to get pushed after every whistle. Everybody's going to finish a check on you. They're going to hook you. They're going to hold you. And it's a different set of rules in the playoffs. And I, it didn't look like he was comfortable with that. And as soon as Colorado realized that, they've been out of their way to make him uncomfortable. And he just kind of blended into the crowd. And then after that, he got frustrated. You could By game four, three or four, you could see the frustration in him. Well, and if, you, if you get somebody frustrated, then you've already won. And that's half the battle. As long as you can get into somebody's head and you make it hard for them, then you're a step ahead of them. And you talked about Mike Smith. Boy, was I impressed with him. Like you said, for years, what was everybody saying in Calgary, Grant? We're not winning a playoff series because we don't have goaltending. And like you said, going into it, what is Mike Smith going to do? He's a wild card. He was steady. I mean, he was very, very good. I thought he was outstanding. I mean, the couple of games that they played in Colorado – should have been seven one yes. eight one games. Instead, they had a chance to win at the end of the game solely because Mike Smith played well. I mean, I going into the playoffs, all the news, everybody was questioning the goaltending and such, but I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, and you know, he's one of those guys that he's a veteran. A lot of people, you know, I guess because he played in uh, Arizona Phoenix for such a long time, he was never considered a top goalie. But I've always thought he was pretty good, Grant, and I. I still don't think he gets the respect he deserves. I think his contract is up this year. Whoever gets him is going to get a good goalie, whether it's a starter or as a backup. Oh, they're definitely going to get a good goalie. I mean, I saw him when he first came into the league in Dallas because I was coaching in Phoenix at that time. Sure. He's a he's a great puck handler. 
almost too good sometimes where he gets a little carried away with it, but he gave him solid goaltending. Yeah. He can be streaky at times where he'll have four or five games where it doesn't look so good, but that's why you have a backup. Sure. Sure. And if you can get somebody that supports him, it makes him that much better of goalie. Yeah. I've been talking a lot with blues fans and people in the, in the central division fans and, it's nothing against Jake Allen, but I think it might be time for the Blues to move on for him, not just for them, but for himself, give him a fresh start because I think he needs it. I would not mind seeing Mike Smith in St. Louis as a backup to Jordan Bennington. I really wouldn't. I I like Mike Smith as a goalie. I mean, wherever he signs, they're getting a good veteran. Can he play 60, 65 games again? Eh, hard to say. But could he give you 45 or 50 good ones? I think he could. And I think whoever signs him, if they can find somebody to platoon with them, they're going to have a great setup. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think he could play 40, 45 games, but he's not that, like you said, that 62, 65 game guy anymore. But a lot of people don't really look at him as being one of the bigger goalies coming out. Yeah, there's a few guys who are going to make some money. But as a solid veteran, I like Mike Smith as a guy. I mean, if I'm working for a team and you're looking for a free agent goalie, I think he's a good signing. Getting into the second round, the Blues and Stars, I don't know if you've watched much of it. Each game has been very exciting. It's been up and down, back and forth, penalties called, teams uh, Dallas scoring shorthanded goals. Uh, what do you think so far of that series, Grant? I like the series. I mean, that's it basically reminds me of old-time hockey. It's got some physicality to it. It's got good scoring chances. It's got some emotion. It's what playoff hockey should be. And I actually look forward to sitting down and watching those games. Yeah, because you you know whether a team's down three to one, four to one, that within fifteen minutes, ten minutes, it could be four to four. <laughs> oh no, it's one of those series it could turn on a dime. And you look at the game last night, it looked like St. Louis had control, Dallas had come back. It looked like St. Louis had control, Dallas had come back. But look, it seemed like a nothing play at the end of the game all of a sudden. St. Louis jumps out in the league, they win the hockey game. So it's one of those games that you're going to have to watch for 60, sometimes maybe 80 minutes. It's, it's fun that way. Yeah, it's it's not one of those games where you want to get up and go grab a sandwich and a beer. No, because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's been strange series. Yeah, it, it reminds me, Grant, like you said, old-time hockey. It's physical. Uh, you know, mistakes are made and a team will take advantage of it. Mistakes are made and you think a team's going to take advantage of it and they don't. It's, it's you know, whether you're a Blues fan or Stars fan, you can't complain about the series at all. No, it's going to be entertaining every night. And I think all the series that are left have been like that. I mean, you look at the Boston series, yes. that's been entertaining because you don't know what Columbus is going to be like. They're either good or they could be a little flat. But that's a fun series. I mean, that's, it's just been a good playoff in that sense. It, it's been a very good playoff and. I'm like you, Grant. I watch almost every single game uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I've done that for years. And there's just that emotion with it. And I can't imagine being a player such as yourself and being in involved in it. It's just a different. It's a different game for the fans. So it it it's just it it's just ramped up, and it's got to be fun and exciting for somebody like you who played in the league to look back at your time in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but also to see the games now. Yeah, why? Well, I- the only part of the game I really miss is playoff time because the hockey is so much fun. And you can see it the last month of the regular oh, yeah. season where teams are starting to amp it up and 
the games are getting higher and higher paced so that everybody going into the playoffs is right at the top of their game. And the pace is probably four steps quicker than it is in the regular season. And it's fun to watch. Sure it is. And a lot of people have asked me, well, you know, hockey's not fun to watch in the playoffs because it's, it's not like the game in the regular season. Why don't they play this style in the regular season that they play in the playoffs? I said, really? Do you realize they would be able to play maybe 35, 40 games and everybody would be so hurt and injured and be so wore out, they wouldn't be able to play for the rest of the year. It's just at a different speed and at a different level. It is. You'd never survive 82 games playing at that pace. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it would be fun, but nobody would ever survive. The teams would be into their third and fourth liners as their first liners by the end of the year because everybody would be so beat up. And Grant, you, but, I don't think you'd see anybody have a career more than four or five years. <laughs> no, it would definitely cut careers short. <laughs> but that's the fun of playoffs is you know everybody's going to ramp it up a notch and it makes it enjoyable to watch. And it doesn't matter what series or who you're cheering for. Every game's exciting. Yeah, and uh, before I let you go, we you know we talked about some of the second-round series being exciting. Uh, like you said, I like that Boston-Columbus series. I heard so many people, Grant, after after Columbus beat the Lightning, there's going to be a letdown. You know, they're going to come into the series against Boston. It's going to be people. I even seen people on NHL Network and Sportsnet picking Boston in four games. And I said, I don't think it's going to go that way. You're not giving Columbus enough credit. And John Tortorelli there, he's a great coach. And I just don't see him letting his team really have a low playing Boston in the second round. No, Torts is a motivator. And anytime you have a goalie like Bobrovsky, he can steal a series. So you can't count Columbus out of any series just because they could get goaltending. They could steal a series for him. He didn't have his best year this year. But coming into this playoffs, I think he's got something to prove. You know, he's in a contract year, and he's playing the best that I've seen him ever play in a playoff series. Of course, before this, they've never won a playoff series, but you know he's playing just just great, and you need that hot goaltender. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it doesn't matter if he lets in four goals in a game. What matters is if it's four to three and you've got a two-on-one, is he going to make that save? And that's what Bobrovsky's been doing. It is, and – it's what it comes down to in goaltending in the playoffs. It doesn't matter what the score is. You make that one save that either turns the game around, turns the series around, saves the series. Come playoff time, nobody cares about your goals against average. Nobody cares about your save percentage. All they care about is whether you win or not. And your good goalies will find a way to win. Well, Grant, I want to thank you for joining me. Before I let you go, I'd seen some updates on Twitter about uh, some new news about making Coco. Yeah, we've got it's coming out on the full movie length is coming out on Super Channel up in Canada. I'm not sure if we can get it in the States or not. And then we've got a premiere coming up July 6th in Las Vegas. And then I believe in the fall we're releasing it on video on demand, iTunes, and a couple other platforms. That's great. Uh, how much more information is on that director's cut? Have you seen the director's cut? Uh, the TV version is about 44 minutes, and I believe the director's cut's about 92 minutes. So basically double. That's great. Uh, any other news that uh, you'd like to let the fans know about what you're doing right now? Well, I would, that's about it for that. And it's the charity season's begun, so I'm making my rounds, playing as many charity events as I can play in, and seeing if we can help make people's lives better. Great. And before I let you go, I've got to ask one question. What's your handicap? No, I'm still scraping it around as a one right now. 
that's that's not bad. I'm glad you're getting to play golf, and I'm glad you're getting to enjoy your retirement and your help and charity at the same time. Grant Fear, as always, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you again, and stay safe and tell everyone that I said hello. I will. Take care, Lance. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Drop Podcast. To get more of The Drop, check out our website at droppodcast.com. You can also find us on Google Play, iTunes, and the iHeartRadio app. You can follow us on Instagram at the.drop.podcast or on Twitter at Drop Hockey Show. You can email The Drop Podcast or host Lance DeScott at lanced at droppodcast.com. To find out more about Lineup Media, go to lineupmedia.fm. Until next time, let's go Blues! This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.